Welcome, everybody. I still have the urge to sing uh, my Aeonbyte introduction. Happy Harry's, happy Harry's, and welcome to the desert of the real. But uh, this is Finding Hermes, so I'll have to figure out some new introduction or keep stumbling away with this new venture. But this is our second episode, and it is an honor and a pleasure, as always, to have Robert Bonomo on the show. Robert, thanks for coming on the second episode of Finding Hermes. And thanks for having me. It's a real honor. Oh, pleasure is all mine and always great when you come to the virtual Alexandria <laughs> domains and all that good stuff for a lot of heresies and a lot of insights. So I guess, Robert, I wanted to ask you what I usually ask guests from an esoteric point of view on 2020. Obviously, everybody's got their their charts, uh, their pandemic charts, their stances on politics, and it just fills up the social media. But this show wants to look at things from, uh, again, an esoteric, high-level point of view, which is, I think what's, is going to help people in the long run for this year and for infinity and beyond, as uh, Buzz Lightyear said, although it makes me sad that in the last Toy Story it wasn't true. It wasn't infinity and beyond, and I think that's the, the lesson of uh, this show, that uh, you're never out of the woods, and sometimes infinity is going to end. But anyway, yeah. what do you think of 2020 from a symbolic, esoteric, archetypal point of view and uh, from your stance? Yeah, I see it as a real moment of, it's, of destruction. Every as every like for example in the in the tarot it would be very similar to the tower, where all of the dogma the beliefs are collapsing. And I think I, we talked about this. I think at one point, the Trump figure I really see as the trickster. And you know when you look into that archetype, without political lenses, what does the trickster do? It's very important. The trickster is, remember, over-sexualized, always. And Trump has that over-sexualized thing. No, it's true. It, he always comes out that way. Oh, and, yeah. the, and the trickster causes problems. He stirs up all those taboos. And remember, very important in the trickster motif, the trickster becomes the scapegoat, is killed, and then things coalesce again. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be killed, but he could be marginalized at some point, maybe November, maybe four years from November, or maybe at some point. But I think that's the, the, the Trump figure is, is acting that out. And the stuff that he's stirring up, you can see it in the, in the BLM movement with all this COVID stuff in the relation to science. You know, I wrote that article about, um, what was it, the... Uh, Clocks and oranges know how starting, I think, to have some problems with the scientific establishment. There's a lot of stuff that's going on, but all of this stuff that's being stirred up is really changing our belief systems fundamentally. And what comes out of this, because this is the winter period, you know, and that whole idea of the four turnings, this is the darkest point of the winter. So a lot of things have to go away. But what emerges, what emerges after will be very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, and so this is, 
uh, as I say, it's not necessarily a bad thing since it's an, an unveiling and that mm-hmm. trickster energy, that's what it does. I mean, that's one reason I called it Finding Hermes, and I keep saying this is the age of Hermes. He is one trickster example. But what's an example in mythology of, you mentioned the trickster dying. Obviously, Jesus Christ is an obvious trickster motif. And Sure, Loki. Loki, the... Loki's a really classic one. Um, in all of the books, um, what, what was his name? Cripple? Uh, I think Kripple. you had him on as a... Jeff yeah. Cripple, I'm sorry. Jeff Cripple wrote a book on this, and he discusses it a lot. And he even... I, I mean, I, I think politically, he's, he's not very... You know, he doesn't like Trump so much, but he did confirm that he does fit a lot of those um, motifs. Where So the trickster comes in, causes anger and problems... And then the village or the tribe finally turns on the trickster. And when they kill the trickster, that's when you get the catharsis. Now, I'm not saying, I, I want to make clear, I'm not saying that he's going to be killed. But it, it doesn't really mean killed. It just means marginalized, leaves the stage, right? Right, and right, yeah. That, that's where, but I would look at, at the Loki myth is, is a real classic one. When Loki comes in, he plays all these games, and and then finally he he's killed. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. These are the times of the trickster, uh, and of course, uh, the show deals with the trickster mind, uh, and that's the reason for the show. And um, even more uh, pressing, I would say, there was an article by. Uh, Glenn Greenwald in The Intercept, and it really stunned me because he lays down what 2020 has done. I don't know where about where you are or the rest of the world, but here in the United States, the collective psyche of Americans is under an incredible amount of stress. And he and he he actually I have this study here. This is from the CD Center for Disease Control and Prevention, their own study. And it's uh, it's sobering because uh, he talks about or he presents how one in four young people have considered suicide in the last month. And then one in three for older generations like us. Something like 60, what is it? Uh, let me look here. 60% of younger people are suffering from anxiety and depression, while 30, 30 to 40% of the whole population is uh, under the stress of deeper mental ailments like addiction, uh, drug abuse, and other things. So this is, uh, as I keep telling, this is turning into a bloodbath for uh, not even the mental state, but uh, eventually it's going to be the actual lives of people. I mean, do you see it too? Oh, my God. And it, we, I, I read that, because you sent me that link. I read that article. It was fascinating. Yeah. I really recommend people to take a look at that. I would put it in perspective. I think what we're seeing is the culmination of this. But there was an article in The Atlantic from 2017 from an academic, uh, you can find it. Uh, she was from, uh, I believe, from San Diego. She, what she did was she looked at the statistics of young girls and boys, teenagers, from 2008 till 2016. So the beginning of the iPhone period, which was around 2008. For example, suicides were up 30% with adolescent girls, 
Now, if you asked parents, if you told parents, if your teenage girls eat Snickers bars, they have a 30% chance higher of committing suicide. Would, would you, how many parents do you think would allow those kids to eat Snickers bars? I mean, it's really that simple. But let me go through all of them because it was terrifying. And the thing is, with the younger girls, it was worse. And what she explained was, for boys, what we there's a lot more of a physical element. Remember when we were teenagers, you get in a fight with this guy and that guy. There's the fight, and then it sort of dissolves. But what okay. girls do is they marginalize. So with the internet, it's very easy to marginalize other girls, put them outside of the group. Right. So it was affecting them more. Dating levels had gone down. Sexual activities gone down. Drivers licenses. The eight. Do you remember our when we were kids? I mean, it was get the car. The car was like our biggest dream to be able to drive. Yeah, These yeah. kids are driving later. More time with parents. But these were significant. I showed, I gave like a little seminar at my university to some of the professors with this data. They were shocked. So I think what's happening is, remember, social media is an experiment. It's an experiment. And we're, we don't know what the results are. We've let these guys in Silicon Valley start. And I'm not saying it's a big conspiracy or anything. Look, it's a business. I used to work in that business. <laughs> I know. It, but they're, they're conducting a massive social experiment. And I think part of what we're seeing in the political polarization and these sorts of things are the effects of social media. You know, personally, I've had a difficult time with this because I've been real isolated. And I think um, I got through the lockdown OK, but then when the summer break came, I was kind of lost. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are like that. And I noticed I, I was. Being, I was very active on Twitter. It was just an escape. Yeah. And it was not helping my psychological state <laughs> at all. No, it can't. I mean, uh, and I think this has been going on since the 2008 crash. I mean, like you say, yeah. uh, even older people, suicide rates are going up, uh, addiction to meth. I mean, Trump was supposed to help this sort of uh, marginalized mentally marginalized people both uh, from all cases and races but obviously that hasn't happened and now 2020 is really uh, turned up the heat so yeah. that's it's more important than ever we look at uh, our mental states our inner states and and it's interesting we talk about social media that you mentioned i keep saying and others have agreed that the only time i don't know what your thoughts are but uh, this time really isn't that unprecedented i mean you can look at uh, the late 60s too a lot of the parallels social unrest um there was even a pandemic uh, it, it seems like the society is falling at the seams there's so much stress going on obviously in the late 60s you had the vietnam war uh, you had the uh, the killings of major figures like Martin Luther King Jr., Robert Kennedy, Malcolm X. But the difference was, talking to other researchers, is that most people didn't know that the 60s were happening, if you see what I'm yeah. saying. And you know the days people went about their day. You might listen to Walter Cronkite for half an hour. You might read your newspaper. But most people didn't have to experience what was all the tension and the techno tectonic changes going on now with social media 
we're living these stressful situations in real time with the statistics, with been able to uh, webcam live a riot in Kenosha or whatever it is. You can be there in real time, and it is destroying our minds, wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And, you know, we're coming to a moment in history where our social narratives, especially in the United States, are collapsing. You can see it. You know, there was one moment when they tore down a statue of Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I understand it. I'm not arguing with it. I can understand how someone said, well, this man was a slave owner. It's time to change the paradigm. I get it. But the country's based on, based politically and socially on the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. When you tear the him down, that, that means to find a new common ground. and. One, are we going to find that common ground? And most importantly, our narratives, if, if a person is living off a political narrative, it will only cause frustration. Imagine you hate Trump or you love Trump, right? I would guess that most people listening are in one of those two camps. Hopefully here we find people who, who can step back. But if you're looking for some kind of satisfaction in, in politics, you will be fundamentally frustrated because it's like going to McDonald's every day. You're never gonna, you become a zombie. You consume this political narrative, but it doesn't fill you. People need a spiritual narrative. The spiritual food will fill you, but we've lost that. We have no narrative, no common narrative that brings us together. So what people are doing is they're going back into the tribal narrative, the group narrative. That only functions on a social level. It doesn't function on a spiritual. The spiritual narratives transcend that. So you can't live just off a tribal narrative. It won't work. And what we don't have is that second path. And let's face it, it's, it's the Christian narrative is starting to really lose its grip on people. It's just not working anymore. Uh, Unfortunately, if you think about, I don't know about your generation of parents, but say my my parents' generation, it was enough, or my grandparents' generation. It filled them. It filled that spiritual need. But for our generation, for whatever reasons, and we could go into that, I'm not sure it's so important, but I think we all recognize that. We need a new spiritual narrative. And in these difficult times, You know, I've actually had a pretty difficult time, but thank God I have something to fall back on in the sense where even though it is is a difficult moment, I haven't fallen back into some bad addictive habits. I've been able to lean on the spiritual side. So even though it's not easy, it doesn't make it, you know, wonderful or easy or walk in the park. You at least have hope of something tragic. And, and if you can experience it, even glimpses, a few glimpses can save you from falling off the cliff. And I think people now, if you don't have that to lean on, it's so easy to fall back into substance abuse or all the craziness on the Internet, the porn, the gambling, whatever it might be, the political porn, no doom porn, it's conspiracy porn. I mean, let's face it. It's all not. I hate to say it, but it's a lot of nonsense. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. It's like you said. It's empty calories. There's a 
Yeah. I guess I had recently Maja Dao, and she said very. She said very astutely, "If you project and don't reflect, what happens is the psyche begins to starve, and that's yes. what's doing on social media." And my other point, what I, which I continually tell people, is stop. Don't have heroes or villains. That's what they want. The wickedness in high places wants. They want divide and conquer. And they want to make sure that everybody's sort of a in a in a, a state of stress, being connected to social media, and b being a, in a state of stress by always having again. There's there's a villain that's going to destroy you, and there's a savior that's going to save you, and that's not going to happen. You agree? It's it's, a, it's up to us. It's up to us. It's it's really not, and 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 it's difficult because you know. As you get older, I think one of the advantages that we have of reaching this age, you know, I just, I'm 53, is you realize that the meaning that we put into when we were younger, and it's normal, a society, young people do need to put meaning into institutions because we we need it. It's It's natural. But now we're seeing a collapse of these institutions in a way that we didn't see this. So I think it's also difficult for young people because where do they turn it's the point where we understand these institutions have a purpose but not a transcendent purpose and it's really important to just step back and and realize that these these institutions these people these narratives they're not going to save you no as much as we'd like to think it's it's these are comic book heroes it's not true no. And as the sooner people realize it, the sooner they can start creating their own narratives and and yeah, searching for other meaning for an interior life, searching for even in literature and philosophy. And you're not gonna find heroes, you're just gonna or heroines, you're just gonna find a lot of flawed people who went through a lot that we can find inspiration in. I mean, that's it. And I would say recently on my sort of spiritual path, I found Vedanta. And it's really helped me a lot because it's very interesting, the intersection of of, of Vedantic thought and Gnostic thought. Mm -hmm. As you have sort of the God beyond the God. So the equivalence, and I was talking with, I believe it's Jasmine. She's, uh, I think, on Twitter. Yeah, cool check. How... Yeah, and we were discussing this. It was interesting. I think she, that if you think in Vedantic thought, they talk about the egoic mind. That is the world of the archons. Mm-hmm. And when you can say that as the transcendent itself, that is, you know, the God beyond God, right? The Abraxas, my Abraxas medal, the Abraxas figure. Right. And there's this, and the nice thing about the Vedantic thought is it gives you a clear path, it gives you a methodology. Which sometimes in the Gnostic thinking, it's not so clear when you get so. So what do I do? (laughs) Yeah, when you've been uh, persecuted, destroyed and censored throughout history, that stuff just kind of doesn't get out. But that's what I'm working on. Another thing about finding Hermes, I'm working hard on. You might say practical ways that the Gnostics did to and uh, they really were just uh, they were amazing. They were mystics. They were shamans, but they were also therapists. I mean, their idea was 
God went crazy and become us. And it wasn't sort of God is trying to find himself as God is in a state of psychosis. I mean, he needs help. And because he became us and we started worshiping these false gods, these heroes and villains. And now we have to go through a form of therapy and then basically sort of working our way back and facing these traumas. And it's the same. I mean, whether it's the Sethians and their hatred for nature or even the Hermetics, the Hermetics like, well, this is part of the divine plan. When you have multiplicity, there's going to be friction. It's just the way it is, but we still have to get home. So I think all these things are definitely uh, what the Gnostics were doing. And I think they, they're more right than ever. Absolutely. And I think it's important to remember with what, Carl Jung's insight into the Gnostics was that this was psychology. What they were was doing a type of psychology. And when he later, pretty late in life, when he got deeply involved with alchemy, he saw alchemy as the bridge mm -hmm. from this Gnostic mythology that can be kind of difficult sometimes to, to capture it was reborn again in alchemy. And what alchemy was, was sort of a modern version of that, of that uh, Gnostic cosmology. And in alchemy, I found it much easier to see the process in a more modern, in a modern view. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you have the steps, you've got the process, you know, almost what how, what you're going to feel this in this process in this step I'm going to be in a living hell the next process I will be liberated I will be purified so and this can be applied to so many things in your life and so many uh spiritual practice or just in, in a form of self-reflection of where you are during the day Yeah, absolutely. So that's why I think it, it really it really helped me. And also, we talked about this also with Young's uh, letters with um, from the AA from uh, Bill. What was it? Yeah, yeah, with Bill W. Remember those letters about you need what was it? Spiritus for spiritum, no? Mm -hmm. Where you need one for the other. Yeah, spirit. And when you look at that alchemic way. It makes a lot of sense, no? Where you take the lead, which is, in this case, maybe the, the spiritus, no? And you turn it into gold, which would be the real spirit, you know? So there is that, that bridge there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, Jung didn't pull punches at that time when he was having his correspondence with Bill W. He said there is, uh, there is, uh, there is objective evil. And he called it the devil. We can call it the demiurge. And this has to be completely rejected. You can't integrate. And in our discussion, at some point, we have to say the same thing. Social media, uh, the uh, the atmosphere out there, people need to disconnect and reject it because it's become it's becoming satanic. It's poisoning people's minds. I mean, I'll bring up Glenn Greenwald's research and all the statistics. I mean, this is serious. This is a bloodbath that's coming to our country and it's not going to be some foreign invader or <laughs> or no. some uh, fascist dictator it's going to be people falling on their swords out of desperation and people right now are as they're engaged I, I don't know if you've tried i'm sure you must have some friends who are very engaged on one side or the other oh yeah yeah 
and it's almost my feed. It's every I, I'm on this side, I'm on that side, and it's almost impossible to. It, it's it's almost like somebody who's drinking, mm-hmm. but like full and you give them that like, hey, you know, maybe you ought to, you know, it's complete rejection. You know what I mean? What are you talking about? You know, remember those moments? I remember them. I think back when I was, you know, in bad shape and it was, it never, it was impossible to to contemplate. And a lot of people are in that state and and it's not going to be easy to get them out. And that's what I'm afraid of is there are so many people completely engaged in one side or the other that it's almost seems inevitable that there's going to be a very very bad conflict i don't see how we get out of this without it yeah i think you're right i was thinking uh, why i've been able to thrive during 2020 i think a lot of it is I look out into the world and I realize everybody's acting like an alcoholic, just out of control, full of resentment. <laughs> and I real, and I'm like, this, it's almost like a mirror. It's like, this is who I was. This is who I am. And as obviously when you observe, when you have a mirror, it always works to, to recognize what's within you. And it's very peaceful. It hurts, but you recognize what's within you and it, it calms things down. So it's almost like the outside is matching my inner world for once. And we're sort of in a state of harmony and sort of a, always it, it forces me to keep looking inside of myself and dealing with things. Uh, so uh, the other thing that's helped me a lot, Robert, is by some grace of God where we moved. It is uh, sort of uh, in unincorporated land. So I, as much as I am in the Sethian nature is evil, I have spent more time outside than I ever before. There are days I spend like six hours outside in some way or another, disconnected, just out there. And it, I realize that it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, obviously, again, I don't see nature as something benign. I see it as neutral with its own agenda. But like the Gnostics, I do see it's full of divinity. It helps me work on my empathy whenever I help my wife plant or I sort of feed animals or take the dogs on long walks. It, it helps me grow my inner self. And again, it's a mirror to myself, to the visceral part of myself. So um, it's really helped. And I would suggest people disconnect, go out, out there. You know, I had a, about three weeks ago, I was, it was really difficult, but I was, I was working really hard on myself and I had a really a good insight. One of those moments of real kind of spiritual clarity. And you know, the first thing that happened, I came to the computer and almost without thinking, I booked a week at the beach. <laughs> it was almost like, and when I got to the beach, just, just a small village, just that going in the ocean, I was alone. I was able to really develop just that connection of seeing the ocean, the sun, the wind. I I totally agree. It gives getting out of the, the power. <laughs> yeah. And getting out of the matrix and just be there with, with nature. And like you said, it's not like nature is good or bad, but it connects us in a way that it's much harder to do inside the matrix. You know? Yeah. And I would advise people some things I do is uh, walking meditation. I try to yeah. walk and simply describe what I'm seeing. And eventually the me turns off 
and it's just description description there is no me and i'm walking with the dogs through the trails another thing that i've that helped me out that i want to share with the audience is uh it's a great place to scream at god or at the angels or whatever kind of <laughs> i just i can sit there with my arms up and say what the fuck is going on you know why don't and i can scream so loud and be completely dramatic yeah my dogs think I'm they're like, oh God, this our owners finally lost it. But it, it's a great catharsis. So I would suggest people get out in nature and scream at the scream at the gods. They will listen. At the very least, you'll feel better. No, absolutely. And for example, I've been doing a lot of um sort of advita self-inquiry, where you sort of look at what you perceive, right? So when you think of who am I, am I egoic guy or am i simply the perceiver and then the ego goes down and you just perceive as your world as your perception and what are you are you what you perceive are you that thinking i or are you simply what perceives and in nature it's so much easier i don't know why but it's just even if i can get a cafe where i can see a tree just have a coffee and look at a tree you know it gives me that connection where you just you act you just ask yourself who exactly am i am i this thinking mind or am i just what perceives and it really can open up some uh some for the audience stuff. where are you so they know no i'm in tunis not far from alexandria actually no oh, maybe a two-hour flight the other way oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> two hours east that's awesome god i envy you yeah and you've had to deal with lockdown same i mean the empire is everywhere and has a grasp on every country, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and we got really lucky here where we had a serious lockdown and there was almost no, uh, we almost almost eliminated it. And now it's coming back. Yeah, the virus is going to do what it's going to. It's going to take its pound of flesh in every country, every society. It we, is. It's like dealing with Agent Smith or something. It's, it's we're, we're humans. We're small. Again, being out in nature, I realize how powerless we are over things how I, all animals are powerless it's almost you just gotta let it happen we can't exactly. be angry. and are we really this body is this us are we this mind is this really us or are you something else and it's a good moment you know contemplation of death is a wonderful meditation it really is because who are you exactly yeah, that's what Socrates says. Philosophy is uh, preparing for death and dying while you're alive. And that's uh, what Nietzsche say. Uh, you're not alive until you've contemplated suicide. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying get it in context. It's, uh, think yeah. about your mortality if it ended. And then you might your perspective might change. And that's interesting. You bring up the Vedanta. And please share any exercises you have with the audience. That's what we're trying to do. But I would, one of my messages I'm trying to get through, and you said it yourself, is what am I? And what that has really helped me out is I've realized that I am not my ego. The ego is simply the part of me that interacts with material reality. That is it. I, there are times when I want to be the demiurge and think my ego is all there is. I am a jealous God and there is. But the me is, that is just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much going on, and it's insane how much is going on. There are shadows, there are complexes, there's childhood trauma, there's the messages from the psyche, the animus, the anima, there's 
alchemical things going on inside of me at every single and my ego's job i realized is to listen to that. <laughs> let's find out all that shit that's going on inside of me so you would agree with that and that's pure event though because what 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 invita says is that ego is not you that is a misinterpretation your ego your 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 mind is thinking to interpret this world but you are the perceiver it's just the perception and when you separate when you ask yourself who am I? Am I that ego who says, oh, this girl didn't like me and this guy likes me and that job I didn't get and this job I got. So now I'm great. And that job I didn't get. And this got published. Is that really who we are or are we simply the perceiver? And when you can back it up and just watch it. Now, what happens, I think what we were talking about before with the politics and the social media, when you can just perceive it, then then it it it, it gives you. It all looks like nonsense. It's yeah. just theater. And it goes on. It's the human theater. And, you know, we have this idea that we're going to change the world. I hate to break it to everybody. You're not going to change anything. Didn't happen in not the late 60s. Not going to happen now. <laughs> the French Revolution didn't, you know, no. the, the Soviet Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution. Those people, those people really believe you look at the Stalins and the Lenins, these were not six cynical people. They really thought they were going to change the world. Look what they did. Mm -hmm. how, how about now in the cultural revolution? You know? You're not nobody's going to change the world. And if you change it, you'll probably change it for the worst. So think about our bodies. We don't worry about our lungs. We don't worry about our livers. Well hopefully we don't worry about our hearts. They work. They function. And society will do what it has to do when it has to do it. You are not that. And when you can, it, there's an enormous relief in that, realizing you're not the ego and you, you have to play your role. We all have a role. I've got my role. I teach you of your role. You do what you do. We all do what we have to do. But that's not who you are. Yeah. Play your role. Do what you have to do. But remember, it's all going to end one day. The world's going to get blown up by the sun, by the moon, by a meteor, whatever's going to happen. That's this is not reality. Reality is beyond this. And when you can touch that, when you can and there are ways to do it. I mean, I found my little path here, but there are many ways. All roads lead to Rome. Mm -hmm. But what I mean is when you can touch that. It, it, there's an enormous relief. And in these times, probably like no other time we've lived. It's really necessary to, to hold on to that, that transcendent point. Because if well, you look for meaning in this world, you will be disappointed. Yeah, no heroes or villains. And yeah, as above, so below. There's a universe within us, whether I, I'm talking Jungian or Gnostic with the aeons and the arc or Vedanta. There is a universe out there and a universe within us. And it is vast and it needs to be explored. Uh, one of the things I wanted to, quoting Jung, or there was a union uh, therapist I saw in this. I'm st I stole this from Laura London's uh, Twitter feed. Sometimes social media is good because you will find a lot of gems if you're looking instead of trying to beat somebody in an argument or get offended by Trump or Biden or whoever's talking. But, but there are gems there. And this therapist wrote, if two people are sitting in a room and they're only dealing with what's conscious, 
not much is going to happen. That's where the empathy, because I am this crazy, complex universe with trauma and messes and insights and inspiration and things. To, but so is another person. It's I when I look at people, I, I try to say what's what might be going on in their lives. Are they afraid? Do they have you know whether it's a boss or somebody you meet? What's going on with their? There's a lot more going on than them coming up to me and saying hi or pissing me off or wanting something. They have, there's a whole narrative and story, and that brings a lot of compassion and also curiosity to understand them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I never forget. Yeah, I was doing, uh, I was studying a master's degree in psychology at uh, so Sophia University in Palo Alto. And we were doing a group. It was a group. Uh, yeah, no, it was the um, Institute for Transpersonal Psychology, and then they changed the name. But it was an interesting place. And we were doing a team building, and there was a, there was a lot of younger people. Young, but I was, this is years ago. But I remember there was, a, there was a black guy who got in the center. And he said, he looked at us all, and he said, how many of you can identify with a 40-year-old black man studying psychology? How many can understand what I'm going through? And you know, nobody raised their hand. And he looked at me and he said, you, you're a man, aren't you? You're about my age. You only see the black guy? Yeah, not the man. <laughs> I totally forgot that there's a soul inside this man. I, it really threw me for a loop. But I really learned something, too. That when you think about love, what is love? It's the recognition of the transcendent in everything and everybody. If I only look at you as the guy trying to get my job or the girl I want to date or eh, we're going to be fresh. But when you can see that, that's, you know, that trans, transcendent spark in them. That's when you get real love. And when you do that with people, that's when you get real connections. But like you said, if we're both only dealing with the conscious nonsense, what's going to come out of it is nonsense. It's nonsense. It's like cooking right. popcorn. Yeah. And that's what we have. You got popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of projection, a lot of dealing with just the conscious parts of people. And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, too, which I've realized is that uh, I'm, this time I'm really quoting Jung. He said, uh, free will is doing gladly and freely that which one must do. And that really struck me hard because I'm like, wait, Jung's basically saying there is no free will. Then I realized, well, of course, there is and there isn't. Our souls or our unconscious or the gods have an agenda for each one of us, a sacred duty, something amazing, some role we have to play. And if we, if our egos choose not to do it, it's going to be pain. It's going to be denial. It's going to be a loss, wasted life. So in a way, if I choose, if my ego, my ego thinks it wants to run things, but it, again, there's a destiny for me that are my unconscious one. And if it's a line, that's what works. And I think uh, it's a great insight because I don't have to start. I don't have to let my ego drive things. I can sort of listen to my soul, to my unconscious, and the answers will be all there. And it may be something small. My destiny may be something big. I don't know, but it's going to bring a lot of harmony and individuation if I listen to my soul. If I accept I don't have really free will, as strange as it sounds, Robert. 
the older I get, the more I understand there is no free will. And if you look at the work of Donald Hoffman, I don't know if you have you heard of Donald Hoffman, he's a neuroscientist. Yeah, brilliant guy. They've done some really interesting experiments where they split the back of your brain for people who have um, epilepsy. Mm -hmm. Really? So, so what they do is too low. The right was doing. Oh, I'm, I could be getting the lobes confused. I'm not really with great with this. But the right, what the right side is doing is justifying what the left has already decided to do, and this has been seen in certain tests where people choose, say, an apple or an orange, the connection in the brain, they can see the decision being made before you consciously make it. Yeah, it's already so, been made. And if you go back to the Gita, remember when Arjuna says to Krishna, do I have to go fight this? He's like, you're a soldier, go fight. You have to, you have your role and do what you have to do. But your, your transcendent side is the real side. Mm -hmm. This is Maya, and it's true. You know, if if I make another film, or if I write a book, or if I teach a great class, or if I just sit home and meditate, does it make any difference? No. But I need to fill my role. I have a little role in the play. They sent me the script, and you gotta you gotta fill your role, whatever that role may be. And we know what our roles are. We know. We know when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, and when we're doing. You know, I don't mean in a moral way. I just mean in a, in a, you feel that balance. You're like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to. Maybe it's not exciting, but it's what I'm supposed to do. I think you can feel that. Right. And one thing that was kind of got me on this whole Vedantic path is, you know, I'm a big fan of Campbell. Oh, yeah. And do you remember when he said that thing about follow your bliss? Mm. Um, Words will open. A lot of push. In the 2000s, there was a period where there's a lot of pushback against him saying, oh, that was some 80s craziness where just go out and do what the hell you want. But I understood that Campbell was very influenced by Vedantic thought. He, he helped translate the gospel of Ramakrishna mm. and that that he was real. And so then I, I realized what he was talking about. There's a famous saying in Vedanta, which is um, Satchi Ananda which basically means being, knowing, bliss. And that's where he got it. And what he was saying is, when your being and your knowing become one, that's when you reach the bliss, which is when what you're doing and you're perceiving, when that gap dissolves, that's when you're in the zone. You're not thinking about, is there something different between me and this page I'm writing? You know, as a writer, when you're in those moments, when there's just, you're just writing. Or when the artist is painting, or when the cook is cooking, or where the carpenter is building the piece of furniture, exactly. or when the nurse is putting the needle or whatever. There's moments when you just are working in a way where you lose that dichotomy, that duality. That's bliss. And that's what he meant. He wasn't talking about go out and, you know, smoke dope and chase girls all day. He, he, you know what I mean? No, no, no. You know, it, 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 it was, it's a, but it's a profound idea that he, he was simplifying in a way that did reach people. Because if you have that bliss, it means you're in that zone. And if you're in that zone, you're probably doing what you should be doing. Exactly. 
Yeah, like a, a Buddhist priest told me, he said, en enlightenment is simply being useful. You've found your purpose, like you found your bliss, and now you're going to really optimize and help the universe out, which is all of our destinies, I would say. Jung's individuation, the Gnostic idea of unleashing your divine spirit, name your tradition, name... So, and this is very important, I think, for everybody out there. Find, yeah, follow your bliss, find your destiny, your sacred duty. Yeah, and and, and it's it's not easy, but when you do find it, you'll see certain synchronicities will kind of come into play. There, the universe kind of gives you a little bit of a little bit of a tap, and when you're on the wrong path, you know, you get the kicks in the with the pointy shoe, as the Irish say. <laughs> you know, things don't don't go in that direction that you know you you might have wanted so you got you kind of have to play it but we all know we know and we try and lie to ourselves but we know yeah. unfortunately yeah unfortunately <laughs> and uh, yeah i wonder i was even thinking was all my addictions and stuff because i wasn't following my bliss i wasn't aligned I, right now i'm just being rhetorical i'm not offering yeah. it as, uh, it's again speculation is is it's an amazing thing in us in the esoteric circles we can sort of throw things out but for and for the audience so they can get something find out more about you and your life what have been your struggles and how have you overcome overcome them Robert Yeah I'd say I've had many um one period where I had reached sort of the peak of my professional when I was working in advertising. I remember I was living in New York, in Manhattan, making very good money, working for an agency, and completely just drunk all the time. Your soul was not aligned to, you know, yeah, you were probably not happy. You weren't on the right path. So it manifested as horrible alcoholism, didn't it? Oh my God. But in a really, it, it got pretty bad. It got pretty bad. And, you know, I remember basically everything I did as a professional was to manipulate people to do and buy things that they really didn't want or need. And I was getting paid a lot of money to do this. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. As both of us have been in marketing, we know we don't address the conscious part of people. We're manipulating their subconscious when we're, we're we're planting the seeds of fear and desire. I mean, marketers know that the e there, there's more to the ego, and we exploit <laughs> the yeah. deeper parts of human beings. They're the reptilian brain, their subconscious with symbols and colors. So yeah, that's what you're doing. You're being a, a dark wizard. <laughs> and then you wind up becoming, for example, engaged in certain relationships that become obsessive and maybe just like almost psychotic and you see this is my this is my world it's a message that tells you you know you're not on the right path and you know to get out of that to, to move out of that when i look back it's nothing but miraculous it really is i mean it, it you think god how did i ever get out of that one you know and and there's a sense of I, I don't, and, that, and when we say, do we have free will? I really don't think I got out of that, out of my will. I don't feel like, oh, I overcame it. I got lucky. That's the feeling I have. Some sort of grit. But how did you, how did you get out of it? Because uh, for 
people watching this don't think well if i change my life and follow my bliss i'll stop drinking or watching porn or shopping or overeating no you you really do have to attack the symptoms too <laughs> oh my god yeah 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 and i mean soul you won't hear the gods unless you clean yourself up and stop doing all these bad habits yeah and and it and it's from and those <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Fires the devils on Those, the <laughs> absolutely, yeah. I will never be completely free. No. Um, yeah, but from those dark, dark moments where you think there's no way out, um, sometimes you act out of just inertia or something pushy, I, however you want to describe that. And from those moments, but again, you know, from those moments, those dark moments, how did I escape? I have no idea, but I escaped. I knew I had to get out. But those first times when you go into an AA meeting and you're like, I, there's no way. Just get me to a bar quickly. I can't deal with it. You remember those? Oh, yeah. You're like, okay, I'm going to die a drunk on the curb, but get me the heck out of this meeting. No, you remember that feeling? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people had that, especially the first, second, whatever. But, you, you, you know, it, and that's one thing about AA that I think doesn't get discussed enough, you'll see certain statistics about the, how many people, but what effect does just one meeting have on a person's life? Imagine someone who goes to a meeting and never comes back. It affects them. Oh, yeah. it, it, it changes you, and it gives you a shift. And so, you know, from those dark moments, just for, because I think there's probably a lot of people out there who are in difficult spots. Yeah. And, you know, I can offer no magic bullets, but I can say, you know, from those spots, there is a way out. You know, you, you can, it is possible to leave those, those, those areas. And I slowly, slowly just floated around and I found, I went back to writing. I went back to writing and the writing gave me something to kind of latch onto. And then I slowly let the, the bad habits kind of slowly kind of remove. Not completely. It didn't happen overnight. You know, fell off many, many, many a time. And then the spiritual side started to open up. And that's when it happened for me. Mm -hmm. There was a spiritual awakening. That's what saved me. That's when I, I could. That's when I caught the rope. I said, you know what? I, I can. I can. And you know what? Fake it till you make it. If you're not sure. Trust in it. Trust in it. Because before you can know, you've got to have a little bit of faith. You've got to kind of believe in it. So if, if you're not completely convinced, just fake it for a while, hold, hold on. And then once you get those experiences, then, then you have something that you can actually eat that will sustain you outside of this sort of matrix. Yeah, well said. I mean, they're, they, what's the saying in AA? I can't think myself into right behavior. I have to behave until, until, uh, into right thinking because it is true. I mean, that's the idea. That's the big paradox. We're talking about paradoxes, free will. But the paradox, too, is the trickster. Your mind has been rewired. How do you overcome your mind that has decided it wants this drug or this? person or this job or this lifestyle 
you have to basically trick your mind by, like you said, you riding and sneaking in the spirit, me going out in nature and sort of quiet until the gods give me grace. Yeah, you have to you you have to play the trickster to beat the trickster. Oh, and I couldn't agree with you more. You will never think your way out of it. No, no. you can't beat your own mind because it's you. It's your ego. You can't. <laughs> it, and it's not you. It's what you think is you. Yeah. And that's very important. Yeah. If you can, if, if a, once you can begin to observe yourself thinking, you said, is this young lady going to really save me? Or is this bottle of booze really going to save me? Or is this job going to save me? Or is this Amazon order? (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to happen. And so it's, it's beyond the mind. It's definitely beyond the mind. The mind is a tool and it needs to be subdued. And once it's subdued, then you can get the connection. But it's not a mental, it's not mental. No. And the trickster God will then take you down into the unconscious, which is the whole therapy, facing your traumas, finding out how you've been programmed by the media and our parents and our churches. And all, all this, this journey, as Campbell said, to, or Jung said, to go down and face the dragon. When the mystery schools, you go down and you, you go down to Hades to fight to fight to meet these demons, these chthonic gods and goddesses. And sometimes you got to save them. You got to save uh, Persephone, bring the yeah. darkness back. That's it. It's, it's, it's absolutely true. So much of what is the second half of life is unlearning the first half, unfortunately. <laughs> That's why it's so tough to watch these millennials and these Zoomers. You know, I, lo- I look at them and I understand. I say, you know, I get it. I get it. It's great. But if you could only watch yourself 20 years from now, you're going to cringe. You know? yeah. Gotta make <laughs> but they have to do it. Yeah. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. But it's, it's the problem is, and this is what gets me angry when I see boomers and folks our age playing that game. They should know better. They should really know better. They're just stalling. They're stalling the inevitable. They're trying to recreate something that was never there. So, yeah. So as we get uh, towards the end of this really uh, stimulating and engaging and hopefully uh, helpful talk to people, what other what other uh, techniques or um, therapies have you used that have helped you out with your mental state of being? that you might recommend to others? I mean, you mentioned Vedanta, writing, AA, but again, the more tools we can give, hopefully people out there will grab onto them and find the, find and follow their own bliss. <laughs> yeah, I would say lately, the Vedantic thought, the, the Ramana Maharshi sort of self-inquiry has helped me a lot. And there are some folks on the internet, like Rupert Spira has helped me a lot. There's um, the Vedanta Society of New York. That kind of stuff lately has been something that's really filled me. In the past, esoteric learning really helped me connect in an archetypical way. You know, I made the film on the tarot. That whole process of diving into those archetypes, really diving in, really helped me because it helps you connect in a deeper way. And even doing divination, it's a liturgy. 
No, so those now I don't I don't recommend people sort of read the tarot for themselves every day. But if you learn it and you can offer it to somebody and help them, you get that connection. And those things have helped me a lot. But it's it's a double-edged sword because a lot of people get lost in that. It becomes an obsession or it becomes the ego saying, I know. The beautiful thing about divination is you let the oracle do its work and you just interpret it. But you recognize that it's not you. That's helped me a lot, uh, I would say. And of course, meditation, I think, is absolutely wonderful. You know, I try and meditate a couple times a week. I wish I could do it every day. It never happens every day. But a couple times a week, I get it in. And it really helps me. It really does help me, you know. Um, and a practice, a meditation practice, I think is really important to calm the mind. What type of meditation do you do? do you use? I use actually it's, now it's, it's actually you know you know the ohm symbol mm-hmm. the symbol of ohm I use an ohm meditation which is actually it's it's a vedantic meditation it's really interesting if you think of a u m a as the waking state mm-hmm. the u as the, the dream state and the m is the the sleep state the silence that comes after and from which it emerges that's perception that's who you are so it's a very interesting meditation you chant oh and you see the 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 consciousness of the waking consciousness the dreaming consciousness the deep sleep consciousness but what's under it and where does it come from that's you that's the perceiving and so that's what i've been doing lately and it works i do like i have a 21 minute kind of routine of with a meditation timer and it works it works really well yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to find out what works, and there's many types of meditation out there. Just find. I, I, yeah, I think. Yeah, you, you got to find the one that works. Yeah, yeah. But it will, it will bring results. And I think uh, another thing people have to accept is the subtle results are sometimes the better. I think uh, I turn around and said, "Oh, I'm listening to my conscious telling me to make a decision," or. I realize I'm a lot calmer than I was a year ago. I mean, it's uh, it's more organic. It's a natural thing. It's not the road of Damascus or the angel Gabriel coming to Muhammad. It's uh, you become the human you're supposed to be slowly. And, and like I said, I've been having a pretty tough time lately. But I took the higher road in the sense I've really eliminated a lot of social media contact stuff. Um. Try to focus on a lot of study, a lot of self-inquiry. And while it's been difficult, sometimes the progress you make in difficult periods is worth much more than that sort of euphoric progress. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a writer, I know you write also. I found this. Those, I, when I'm writing, say, a book or a novel, it's that thousand words a day I need to knock out. Right. And there's some days when I go in there and I'm like, this is great. The next day I read it, I'm like, eh, well, maybe it wasn't so great. And those days when writing is like pulling teeth, remember those days when it's just like the words will not emerge. Oh. Sometimes you go back and you look at that and you're like, damn, I, wasn't I need to be in that mood more often and less euphoria. So the progress made in the tough times sometimes is, it, it, it's more solid. I think it has more staying power. Yeah, I would agree with you. 
I would agree with you. Well, uh, great advice. And uh, again, we hope we can reach as many people as possible and people will disconnect and people will take that inward journey and people will find their trickster and do the right thing as you and I, we're still trying the best we can. We are not gurus. We're not wiser than the next no. millennial. <laughs> we're not. We're not. We are far from. Definitely. We're looking for help as much as we'd like to give help. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm definitely no guru. But um, you have to become your own guru. That's. I mean, that's uh, the bottom line. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. And for the audience, where they can find more about you and your work, I've enjoyed your movie. I've enjoyed your articles in Cactus Land, but. Uh, Tell us, tell the audience. Sure. Hopefully you won't see much from me on Twitter, but I'm on Twitter. I think it's Robert Bonomo. If you see me a lot on there, send me a message. Get yeah, I might have to oh, tap man. you on the shoulder. Dude, you're going the wrong direction. You're going on another meltdown about the government or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Please give me the tap on the shoulder. And then um, on the YouTube channel, you can just put the 21 faces of God and you'll find me on YouTube. And then I have the cactus land. You have my articles, all that nonsense. Yes, and uh, Robert's uh, movie, The 21 Faces of God, is a very, very cool movie. You, you, you will go through the journey and you will find insights. And a lot of what we've talked about in this show, alchemy, Jung, mythology, the trickster, you'll find it in this movie. And it's a, it, you, it might even become part of your meditation. I would. Uh, and if you're looking for a path and you're interested in the esoteric, especially those archetypes, the film does show you a bit of a, a way. So it's a good um, if you're looking for if you're looking for something, maybe, you know, you might be able to find something there. Awesome. Well, check it out, audience. And uh, we are at the end. Well, Robert, as always, it is great to have you. Well, you've been on AM by twice, but it is truly uh, wonderful and an honor to have you on the second episode of Finding Hermes. Great. I really enjoyed it. A lot of fun. Great talking to you. Always, always great talking to you. have it our interview with robert bonomo in our second episode of finding hermes i hope you've enjoyed it and i hope you found some insights to help you in your journey of sanity of awakening of whatever you need today and yes i am uh, it's a different angle or place that i usually use but that's because i am experimenting as this venture continues to grow and I found that when I'm standing up, I have, uh, well, I concentrate better or I'm more relaxed or whatever you want to talk about it. But again, a work in progress. So, yeah, I even have my notes. So I hope you have enjoyed it again. And definitely check out Robert's website, Cactus Land, Beyond the Esoteric Dope and Philosopher's Stones that you'll find there. Robert has an excellent article on money in today's capitalism. And if you didn't believe in magic, well, after you read this article, you will believe in magic. 
because our financial system is basically one big dark spell. Check it out. As far as me, I've got a few insights I wanted to share with you from the interview. I hope you now understand how complex the unconscious, the consciousness, or the entire psyche. Uh, basically, it is, uh, well, you might as well say, I am legion when you're talking about your psyche. And other people are legion. I hope this changes your perspective when you're out meeting people. It was Jung who also said that when two people go out on a date, it's not two people. It's actually four people. You've got two egos and two unconscious. I would say that it's actually legion again if you include the anima and animas of the two individuals, their projections, their shadows, their complexes, their unconscious desires, their underlying traumas that are going through. So it is legion, and in a way it makes it uh, more challenging, but more exciting when you approach it that way. Uh, I would say don't try too hard to break down the architecture of the psyche, but experience your own psyche, your own unconscious moving, and try to experience that of others. It will, uh, it will make life, uh, it will open a lot of eyes, and it will make life much more interesting. The second takeaway I have is, uh, well, as I mentioned in the interview with Robert, is, well, how do you convince your mind that it's already made up its mind? And that, uh, let me mention again, that reminds me when I was in rehab many moons ago. And I went up to my counselor and basically told him, uh, my mind has already decided that uh, I need cocaine and alcohol to cope, to survive. Sometimes I thought I needed drugs and alcohol to even breathe. How do I convince my mind that this is not true? And uh, it felt very daunting. I mean, the pleasure centers in my head, my ego, everything had been reprogrammed for me to live the life of a junkie. How do you do that? Well, as this is finding Hermes, you must trick your own mind. That's why they say in AA, fake it until you make it. Uh, that's why they say in AA, I can't think myself into right action. I have to act into right thinking uh that's and very much uh it's in line with what i say on aeon bite write your own gospel and live your own myth when you start doing that you will tap into the world of archetypal images and healing symbols and primordial myths and these align better with your true self and will allow you to trick your own mind in time the Gospel of Thomas does say, when, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you have to replace an image in the place of an image. In other words, all of this is to change your story, the narrative that has been programmed into you, perhaps the stars, perhaps from the world. And if you can change that narrative, you can transform your soul or reach down into who you really are. I would say always keep your Gnostic skepticism. Always know when to turn on and off your disbelief in the fiction that you are, the fiction that you're using, uh, just like you would in a movie, because you really are in a movie. So this is a type of cosplaying, if you would. Um, yes, the, what do they call it? Uh, suspend your disbelief when you're going to the movies. So 
Don't get too drawn into one story or another. But cosplay through life. Again, draw upon those higher energies that were meant to be yours and meant to wake you up. And I see nothing wrong with it. After all, you've been told all your life to be somebody you are not. You've been programmed to be all these different people that are ultimately false. Sure, Jung did say that uh, we all have to wear masks to be able to cope in different types of in different parts of our life. The mask you wear at work, the mask you wear with your buddies or your girlfriends, and so forth. But but in this hyper materialistic world in this uh, age where the powers and principalities are really programming us hard i think these masks are actually turning into death masks into sort of darth vader masks that are killing us at the very at the most and at the very least are cutting us off from our truer selves i like what neil gaiman said uh, once during a graduation speech he said don't pretend you know something. Pretend you are someone who knows something. I think that nuance is very important. And again, it's part of that writing your own gospel, living your own myth, and tricking your own psyche with the power of Hermes. And we'll certainly get more into that and in finding Hermes, as I have been stressing this for many moons on Aeon Bite. So think about it. Meditate it. Just like with your entire psyche experience. Experience your psyche, experience the different stories, and find the story that will break you open. Lastly, my third takeaway is that of free will. And we touched upon it, uh, Robert and I, and it's an interesting one. After all, uh, do we have free will? I quoted Jung again, who said, uh, free will is doing exactly what you're supposed to do right now. In other words, each of us has a destiny, a destiny aligned with our psyche, just like Arjuna in the great Indian myth. And we either listen to it or, well, it's going to be very painful or it will seem we have no free will. What did Jung say? Uh, if you don't make the, the unconscious into conscious, everything you do will seem like you're trapped by fate, like you don't have free will. But when you understand what you're Understand what your destiny is, not the destiny your ego wants for you, the demiurge, uh, <laughs> the classic image of the demiurge. Then things are going to go really well. There will be peace. There will be energy. There will be a, you will be more driven into doing what you're supposed to do. Uh, like Jung also said, we are not here in this world to be good. We are here to be ourselves. And that's already been you might say, set long before we were born, and each one of us has an amazing adventure to go through. So that's it. Those are my takeaways, and we will be addressing more of everything I've said. Again, I hope you have found uh, something important. I hope you're closer to finding yourself, to finding your Hermes, and I hope you can join us for the next show which will be coming out in time. Very exciting guests I've got prepared, and I think you'll like them. And please let me know what you think of uh, the backdrop I have. What do you think about the entire show? Let me know about some guests you might uh, have in mind, have in Psyche, have in Legion, that uh, might uh, be uh, great for this show. Uh, individuals who have an alternative uh, solution 
to mental illnesses, addiction, and other problems that are becoming more prevalent in 2020. They are Legion too. So thank you. Hope you've enjoyed the second episode of Finding Hermes. And as I say here, let's continue putting all our cards down on the table. Let's continue becoming transparent to the transcendent. And let's continue finding a story that works for us. Thank you. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. Experience the empowering feeling of the Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Get $750 cash towards the lease of our 2024 NX350 all-wheel drive. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease cash offer and pricing details. Restrictions apply. Not all customers will qualify. Offer available in the Lexus Eastern area in April 1st, 2024.